the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple. I'm Andrew Berg. This is the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. And for the second week in a row, Gaby Lucas is joining us. Gaby, what's going on tonight? <laughs> I, I just took a sip of water and chugged it into my lungs. What's going on or how is it going on? It couldn't have been on? timed any better. It was really fantastic. Thank you. I tried. Um, what was your question? I don't remember. I think I said, how's it going? How am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? I am recording a podcast with... My best friends in the whole wide world, Andrew and Colin, and what am oh, I? And also, that. while watching the the debut of uh, Shane Wright for this for the Kraken on mute, and I've already told you guys this, uh, and I should tell the listeners now that there's a greater than zero chance that at some point I interrupt whatever we're recording with uh, general shrieks. Should should he should our little our little boy score our little little child. <laughs> collective seattle child (laughs) while we're on the subject of uh guttural involuntary shrieks we could Mm -hmm. talk about some of the uh fireworks in the stanford game this weekend recently passed um we talked going into the game last week about how the broad strokes of this game might look a little bit might have looked a little similar to the michigan state game with one team you know two teams that have competent offenses but one is just a lot uh, our opponent kind of struggling to keep up with the pace. And that is what happened, but it happened in a different way, obviously. And the two big trends I want to talk about were the pass rush and the running game. And we tend to always start on the offensive side. So let's talk about the pass rush a little bit and how that kind of defined the game in a way. Uh, there were eight sacks, forced three turnovers. ZTF finally was looking like ZTF. Braylon Trice had a pair of sacks. Tuputala had a pair of sacks. I think Fatui Tuitele fell on two fumbles. He didn't force them, but hey, it's not easy to fall on a fumble. Uh, They were on Tanner McKee constantly. The offensive line was down at least one starter, and they looked just all out of sorts. What was your – how did you feel watching this, you know, kind of viscerally? But also, did we learn anything about this, or was this just kind of a perfect storm of things going right for us and wrong for the tree? Um. I don't think we learned a whole lot more than what we were already thinking for me anyway. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of it was just reinforce, just like reinforcing the sample size of what we've kind of already seen. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I was expecting like what we saw from when Stanford did score that it was like Devon Banks and uh, Julius Irvin a couple of times, you know, got you got beat not not like super bad but just you know it doesn't take that much it just takes a step or two for relatively big plays and and it kind of defensively things kind of went how I was expecting albeit you know I didn't expect eight sacks um obviously but as far as you know like UW's defense being relatively you know winning however having uh positive plays for the defense however you wanted to find that you know maybe 65 percent of the time and then um and then there being you know a, a, a handful of relatively large passing plays but that overall that probably wouldn't have been able to to overcome you know uh washington's defense being 
generally the more successful of uh you know that matchup i think the way they they did it i was imp- i mean i was impressed with the obvi- obviously i was impressed with the pass rush that's stupid to say but i i i, I mean so much of that also was like that's a strength of this team, but also Stanford's offense with like the slow mesh, like plays into that so hard. Um, I was impressed that Tanner, that they didn't let Tanner McKee get out of the pocket though more often, or that, that he didn't escape. I, I expected him to be able to escape or get the ball out because he's such a big dude and he's relatively mobile for somebody who's that big. Um, I was expecting that to happen a couple of times. So that, I suppose that that's something that I'm, i picked up on i suppose if we want to call it learn quote unquote uh we can go with that yeah i think that's i I think you hit on something you kind of put a lot of things together that there was a confluence of factors happening here that are are, we do have legitimately good outside linebackers defensive ends rushing the passer uh ztf trice are outstanding martin is very good as well tupital is quickly proving that he uh, can get into the backfield from that inside linebacker position, both to blow up running plays and to make sacks. And it's, it's fun to watch. Uh, and, and McKee is, is not, you said he's, you know, he can move around a little bit, but he's pretty much the most traditional pocket passer we'll probably see this year in sure, any of our, yeah. our games and did not move very well. And Stanford's offensive line played poorly and was missing people. We're probably not going to have a lot of games with eight sacks. I think that's fair to say. I think we probably for won't have another years, one. Probably. probably for a couple of years. Yeah. But, you know, with that said, it, it does speak to the defensive strategy that we're playing toward, which is we might have some trouble getting off the field uh, or we might give up some bigger plays from time to time. And it can be frustrating, but when you, you know, pile up eight sacks and force three turnovers, some of the big plays don't come back to bite you as much with that said, the inability to get off the field in some of those situations isn't really (laughs) the risk preferring uh, consequence that, that we're talking about. Like you can blitz and you can play aggressive and still, you know, not give up conversions on third and 13 or fourth and seven, which we've just done too much of so far this year. So that remains a little bit frustrating. So, you know, like if you, you know, stuff the run on first down and then get a sack on second down and then they still convert on mm-hmm. third and 12. Okay. Some of that is that, you know, McKee's not a stiff, like he he does have a very, very good arm. And when you don't sack him, he can make throws that very few quarterbacks can make and give him credit for that. Like he wouldn't be playing if he didn't have an arm like that. And he was, you know, questionably mobile and so on. But uh, at the same time, that's probably something that they're looking at in the, the, coaches meetings this week it's like how do we uh tighten things up a little bit when we get to third and fourth down uh and and not make it so easy for them to uh convert in those situations let's also talk a little bit about uh offensively i mentioned that the story of the game was wayne talio papa just kind of breaking out going from being up to this point as in his Husky career, but also really in his career at Virginia, kind of a serviceable platoon back who could do a little bit of everything to just looking like electric. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of, you know, creative blocking schemes and everything, but he was getting to the edge. He was stepping through arm tackles. I, I, did you see this coming? This was seemed like by far the best we've seen him play so far. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think I had I don't think I had any real preconceived notions or like I wasn't thinking consciously about him that much leading into this game but I think I think overall P 
people people I suppose the last couple of weeks like if there's been one criticism that people have had about the offense uh it's been you know kind of focused on the running game and not necessarily being as consistent there but to me I feel like he's looked like a pretty darn well-rounded guy like we've been I, I think we've been spoiled in the past like obviously the last last couple years hasn't been like the hasn't been a super great uh or consistent running running backs room and part of that is just the offense they were playing but prior to that like we were so used to if there's if you have a guy who's the guy like miles gaskin or whatever like the standard that we have for that is insane (laughs) you know and so i think there was certain things that we were expecting from talapapa as far as like if he's going to be the guy relatively, you know, obviously there's still a little bit of a committee factor that we were going to, people were kind of maybe subconsciously expecting that level of vision and, and balance um, that he obviously isn't going to be that because no one is, but um, I still, I still thought leading up into this game that, that he was relatively patient, relatively, uh, you know, had pretty good vision, albeit, you know, there were a couple of reads that we could, point to the you know the first couple of weeks that that weren't uh you know where if he had made a different read on where to cut like the um you know the run would have worked would have been successful you know something that maybe was stuffed at the line but for the most part I don't think it's super shocking that he had a good game against that defense I do you know I wouldn't have expected that what was his yardage again who knows is 13 carries for 120 yards yeah which is i don't think yeah i wouldn't have been saying it was going to be that but um i i'm not shocked at that you know that he had a a good breakout game because if you look at how our offensive line is able to play against that the that defensive line and his well-roundedness and and i would say above average vision and above average patience like yeah, that's kind of that's a situation, a scenario where where a, a running back like that could definitely thrive. Yeah, and another, you know, just to give credit where credit is due, he he played well. He ran behind his blockers. He made the right reads. Uh, a good rate of yards before contact. Uh, you know, kind of what mm-hmm. the offensive line is giving you is something you know a little bit north of two, two and a half yards. Uh, Talia Papa had four point two yards per carry before contact in this game. So he's basically like doubling what you would expect in getting yards before anybody's touching him. And he did really well after contact too, 5.1 yards after contact, but give the offensive line a lot of credit too. And I, I noticed particularly, you know, there was that one uh, trick play in the uh, first half where uh, they had Jackson Kirkland out and they almost had like too many blockers out on the sideline. Uh, yeah and like getting in the way but the Kirkland moving around really well but really again we've seen a lot of it on the right side of the line particularly behind uh Roger Rosengarten like his run blocking has been very encouraging uh early in his starting career so I'm I'm very happy to see that and it's been uh it, it seems like as teams have adjusted a little bit got a little bit more tape on what uh, Grubb and DeBoer want to do offensively. We saw a ton of super deep safety play by Stanford, and that had mm. to be helping 
uh, with a running game. Like I was, I was shocked at times seeing how deep at least one of the safeties was playing. They'd have one kind of on the edge of the box and the other one, like 10 yards deeper than that. And true. We didn't have, you know, limited the number of like 50, 60 yard passes we had, but it wasn't like the offense was struggling to produce in this game. It was, uh, you know, but for closing out a few drives with field goals, it could have been, you know, upwards of 60 points. Uh, sure, it was, yeah. it was extremely good offense. And that's, that speaks to play calling and also the ability to adapt and execute against different looks so great job by Tali Papa and hopefully you know as things loosen up uh, around the line a little bit more those yards will be there for him for the rest of the year as well yeah yeah definitely I don't know I I, <clears throat> I yeah I think he's like he's kind of like a poor man's Gaskin I feel like as far as like not spectacular at any one thing but like I guess Gaskin was very spectacular at a few different things but you know what I mean like not physically like this crazy imposing kind of guy or super fast or anything but just like just like solid at everything I feel like you know yeah I think that's true and Gaskin you know he may have been like a half grade better at all of these little things like instead of a a a b plus at speed and patience and physicality he's like an a in all those categories and that adds up to being like borderline all-american but yeah it's still (laughs) it's an easy way to get I remember this yeah. was always something people would say in baseball about Bobby Abreu. It's like, you're really good at everything, but you're great at nothing. And that makes you a little bit underrated because you yeah, have that one yeah. thing that catches people, people's eye. And maybe that's yeah. what we're going to get, you know, in a full season with Talia Papa. Yeah. Um, he, he's the, you know, steady, unexceptional guy, but the passing game still had some exceptional elements to it. The, you know, it's almost becoming redundant at this point, but every game it's like Michael Penix just figures out which receiver is going to have 150 receiving yards in that game. <laughs> in this one, it was Romo Dunze after he was relatively quiet against Michigan State. Nine targets, eight of them were completions, 161 yards and a touchdown. So now we've had uh, four games. We've had one absolutely huge game for each of Jalen McMillan, Giles Jackson, Jalen Polk, and Romo Dunze. I don't know how far down the receiver depth chart or even the tight end depth chart we're going to go. Probably not to Devin Culp based on his continued issues with the ball bouncing squarely off the middle of his palms. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, just the fact that we can rotate through at least four guys who have the potential to go for well over 100 yards in a game is amazing to me. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it's definitely like one of those things when I look at the the that depth chart and like all those weapons for if you're Michael Penix, like. Like there's, it does it really doesn't matter. Like one guy, like there's no single person that any defense can just key in on, you know, and that, yeah, I, I it's kind of a, like, it's just like such a, it's such a cliche, but it really is just an embarrassment of like, Ooh, which, which shiny toy do, do we want to beat someone with today? Yeah. And it's so strange because we had, you know, there was other than 2016, when John Ross just kind of like turned into a, a ball of fire and Dante Pettis was excellent. It's been, it's always, always been for the last like decade, like one pass catching threat at a time. It yeah, seems like, yeah, totally. uh, and, and there was a, a dearth of receivers for a few years, uh, really struggling, you know, that whole class of um, Spiker and Osborne not working out. And yeah, it, it was just like, it kept seeming like we were going to turn the corner with our group of receivers and it just wasn't happening. And then, you know, flashes of life with Puka Nakua for four games and he's gone and <laughs> still really just relying entirely oh, on Kate wow. Otten. And now like come on the other side of this and it's like, Oh, it's not just that you have a really good receiver. You have four great receivers. And some of that is play calling and some of it is player development and everything. But 
man, is it fun to watch? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, like, look at like the, you know, the discourse for so long was like Aaron Fuller would have been a really great wide receiver three if he had been put in that position, but because of the, you know, um, the receivers coaches, uh, inability to recruit and inability inability to develop for so long like he was forced into that wide receiver one role that like did him a disservice and and wasn't good for the offense and you think about like how many guys on this on the, on this team uh on that in that position group like would have been above like like probably like five or six like like we at least have like five guys who would yeah. be like above him on that depth chart you know, you know like taj davis in addition to all the guys we already listed yeah i would, I yeah, would exactly. think he probably would be above him i maybe not but i yeah, yeah. It, it is at least four aaron fuller would probably be aaron fuller who to his credit is you know carving out a niche for himself and still playing yeah. football and making money off of it for so sure for like him, not but... not ragging on him it's not yeah, not yeah. his fault it's just like it's it's a just a testament to like how crazy that that room is yeah, just a couple other things. I, I think that we covered most of what came out of that game. A couple other kind of quirky stats I noticed looking back on it. Uh, bef- we we gave up 75% completion rate for McKee uh, when they, we played man defense. And we're only three for seven. He was only three for seven against zone until that one um, 70, whatever, 78 yarder to Wilson at the end of the game in garbage time, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to get too hung up about that. But interesting that we played so much more man defense. And I know that's part of the philosophy to press up um, and try to get pressure and make it difficult to make a quick read. Uh, but, you know, maybe something we'll see more of as the season goes on in some of those third and long situations that uh, you just make it a little bit harder, give the quarterback a different look, because when we've done it, it seems like we have had a little bit more success playing zone in the secondary, which surprised me. I mean, I, I think that's kind of a, a tendency buster for us. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's let's take our break now. We're going to come back. We've got UCLA coming up this weekend, which is uh, pretty exciting. First time going on the road this year. So uh, we will take a quick break for an ad and we'll be back to talk about UCLA and a couple things around the rest of the Pac-12. Thanks for sticking with us. The Huskies are headed out of Seattle for the first time this year. 4-0 is great, but also eventually you have to leave home. This weekend, they're going to uh, Pasadena to play UCLA. Uh, before we get into the X's and O's, it is a little bit unique to be playing, you know, first road game of the year a month into the season and also playing on a Friday night. How much are you kind of baking the that abnormality into what you're expecting from this game? Like, do you think, I know like historically there's kind of a tendency for things to just get really weird for weeknight games for big teams. Are you expecting anything like just bizarre to happen because of the game being played a day early um i'm not expecting anything bizarre to happen because of that i am expecting it to be i'm expecting this game to be a pain in the ass because of dtr (laughs) um even though he 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 can he's just like i'm kind of expecting that to be kind of similar to i think uh uh schley the the Kent State quarterback, uh, who was like a white Russell Wilson, <laughs> like as far as just the annoying escapability. Um, on the other hand, they barely won against like South Alabama, and I think I don't mean this. Don't take this personally, UCLA fans, because I'm sure I'm gonna jinx it by saying this. But when you look at like how they came across their undefeated record, it is not impressive. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, I mean, so it's I wanted really... to talk about that a little bit because UCLA is now 4-0. Uh, wins are over Alabama State, South Alabama, Bowling Green, and Colorado. And obviously they didn't choose to play Colorado and they didn't weren't the ones who determined that Colorado would be like significantly worse than every other power five team in the country. Uh, but that's of that group, four teams, you know, I think they've played cumulatively uh, 16 games so far. They have combined three wins over FBS opponents in that group. Uh, and some of that is, you know, Alabama state has played more FCS teams, but they're not particularly good. Even at that, I think yeah. maybe their only win is against the division two team. Uh, so it's, yeah. it's bad. It's like they haven't, and South Alabama is actually kind of okay. I think they're two and two and they uh, can score some points, but like you said, they needed a walk-off field goal at home into a, an end zone that was completely empty with no one in the seats whatsoever. Uh, yeah. to pick that field goal. Um, and I don't want to like get on the UCLA fans too much. I mean, it would be nice. Like I, I like to see like this weekend at Husky stadium, the student section was just packed, which was really fun. And it like changed the atmosphere and it made the game better. Uh, but you know, like the Rose bowl is not close to the, the UCLA yeah, campus. It really sucks. It's a huge hassle to get there. It's a fun place to be once you're there. Uh, our producer Colin is going that down there this weekend. So uh, I am jealous of him and I would love to be going to this game, but like they really have to coax fans to get to the game, which does kind of change things a little bit. And it's just like a, a very weird situation. This is a four and O team, you know, who somehow seems to have less buzz than they did going into the year. It's like <laughs> they win every game and their perception goes down after every one of these wins. <laughs> so uh, it, and it's just been a very strange year for them so far, but I think we can talk a little bit about the team itself. You mentioned DTR, uh, the defining the relationship quarterback. Mm -hmm. This is a team built around him and Zach Charbonnet, the incredibly, incredibly good running back. Do you just pronounce the T? I know it's probably not right, but <laughs> Charbonnet. Uh, I, either yeah, I've been pronouncing right. it wrong for No, like I think you're right. Three I, years. Yeah. Uh, they, they're, you know, similar to the Huskies this year. Are, are probably slant more offense than defense. Uh, the difference is they run this out of the pass, whereas we very much pass to set up the run. It's a Chip Kelly offense, you know, like it's a Chip Kelly team. It's this mm. incredibly efficient offense. They're very creative in the way they run the ball. That creativity creates openings in the passing game. And DTR right now is completing like 78% of his passes or something, which is just crazy. Uh, and, and it you know, the running game is very efficient because of it. Is there anything, you know, kind of any wrinkles uh, from from what you've seen from UCLA that differentiates what Chip Kelly's doing now from what was, you know, his bread and butter when he was up in the Northwest? I mean, to be honest, like I haven't I haven't paid that much attention to like the specifics of of anything with with this team um, yet. Like I'm going to spend the next couple of days. Well, I'm going to spend the next couple of days doing my actual job, which pays me uh, actual money uh because i have to but along with that like i um will also spend the next couple of days like actually looking more into you know and into ucla is just in general um because i really haven't spent that much attention spent them put spent mm, put that much attention towards you know actually watching them like analytically but i do think it's interesting that like on one hand, like it's a Chip Kelly team in the year of our Lord 2022, <laughs> which doesn't, you know, I, I, I think the concept of having Chip Kelly coach your football team in 2022 is like if the shrug emoji was a concept. 
and um but and then you also have like on the other hand you have dtr who's really dynamic and really fun to watch but then also like kind of never grew out of that true freshman hero ball tendencies you know and so like he kind of will you know still will will have shoot himself in the foot occasionally and i feel like that is um something that you know if the front seven can continue to kind of just disrupt his his processing um you know he'll get out of the pocket and be a pain in the butt and there'll be a lot i feel like there'll be plenty of times where we're all going like god how did we not get him but um yes <laughs> but, but but i feel like it, it's pretty i i don't want to predict this will be the case but it's very pretty standard that like that should also come with a at least a handful of of screw-ups at the same time um that were maybe enforced or not yeah and that gets to an interesting question because he's he has made unforced errors through most of his career and that's been part of what's you know made him a frustrating player i think you're exactly right that this game is kind of gonna kind of be defined by like our what can we contain ucla when they drop back to pass and that's not mm-hmm. just dtr throwing but also scrambling and it seems like when our defense has been at its best our pass defense has relied heavily on getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback and we saw that each of the last two weeks it worked really well last week um when we've struggled, it's been when quarterbacks have been able to kind of step out of that and either create something downfield or just scramble and get a first down that way. Uh, DTR is kind of the exact opposite of Tanner McKee in that regard. And just like we were talking earlier about how McKee was kind of a perfect storm to set up our uh, defensive line to look really good. This might be the the flip side of that coin. Of course, you know, all of those things, him completing 75% of his passes, having an eight to one touchdown to interception ratio all comes with a caveat of doing it against God awful teams. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, so maybe he hasn't changed who he is. Maybe he didn't, you know, his completion percentages by year were 57, 59, 65, 62. It's kind of like, okay, we have an idea who this is. And then 75, like yeah. maybe this has more to do with who he's been playing so far. Sure. And same thing that, the. the TD to interception ratio has, you know, been a lot closer to like two, two and a half to one for most of his career. Um, and maybe we see that, you know, kind of coming back again this week. The the scrambling does worry me though. Like we're going to have to do a little bit more to contain him. Um, and whether that's, you know, keeping a spy or using like the safeties uh, to be a little bit more, just tackle a little bit better. I thought Alex Cook uh, looked good last week, just tackling in space. And hopefully we can see more of that this week, because I think that's going to be a huge part of being able to get off the field and end drives. Yeah, sure. Although I like that you say that because I did notice there uh, at least I think it was two when I was rewatching uh, part of the game, I did notice two tackles that where he he that he 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 missed that were not that were not like super in, in space but but in space ish that I'm like oh wish you could have got that but like otherwise yeah yeah uh so it's uh UCLA kind of we talked about their offense a lot it's they typically had a pretty soft defense the defensive numbers so far this year have been fine like they're kind of middle of the pack in most of the advanced stats about success rate and expected points but again this goes back to the quality of opposition and if they aren't able to hold 
uh, you know, Alabama State and Bowling Green to a relatively low success rate, then they're doing something horribly wrong. So I think once you bake in the quality of opposition, I do still think we're going to score a bunch of points in this game. There's nothing in the last five years of UCLA's defense that makes me feel like this is going to be a, a time when our offense just doesn't show up. You know, we've been scoring 40 plus points per game. Is this going to be the team that stops us from doing that? I, I It would be kind of surprising if, if the, they were the ones to reverse that trend. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I can't, I can't imagine that happening even a little bit. And like, Honestly, I, I saw some predictions heading into the season that like, oh, UCLA was, you know, going to be a really, really good team, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, until I'm given evidence of like Chip Kelly being able to be a more adaptable and like comprehensive coach about addressing his his team's uh, issues. And until I can see like DTR consistently, you know, not make self-inflicted errors, like I don't. I don't trust that, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, um, it was similar to UCLA under Jim Mora when I feel like people every year would be like, would be like, Oh, maybe this, this year, this year, they'll be, they'll be, they'll take that next step. And it's like, until you, well, as long as you have those systemic traits and play, like, obviously there can be, you know, there's still ebbs and flows of successes within the the ceiling and floor of, uh, of that, you know, of how, where your team can be under that coach and under that institution in general. But yeah, I don't. I, I I think as long as this might sound really bleak to UCLA fans, you know, if like two UCLA fans listen to this, and for that I apologize, but um, I just don't. I have trouble picturing them being a complete team and like a a a team that like you know has that attention to detail and is like very you know comprehensive on both sides of the ball and as long as he's there unless like he fundamentally changes stuff and obviously that isn't really addressing specifically what you talked about but that's kind of the thing that frames my viewpoint of anything on the field yeah I, th- I think that's fair though I mean they they have a new defensive coordinator this year Bill McGovern I know very little about him he worked with Chip Kelly on the Eagles he was at Boston College as a defensive coordinator in the aughts and early 2010s uh that doesn't tell us a, a lot about what to expect, but you know, stylistically uh, it'll be interesting to see what's different this time around. Like you said, I, I, what I have seen from UCLA this year has been highlight packages in like the fourth quarter of the South Alabama game, which is probably <laughs> not what they want uh, other teams to use as their uh, scouting film or the evidence of how good they can be. And yeah. they were giving up a ton of rushing yards in that game to a, a very undersized offense. So they, we'll, we'll see if, if, UW is able to kind of replicate that uh, this week, but I think we're going to see more of the same. Like we're going to be spreading the field out and Penix is going to be throwing the ball all over. Hopefully uh, the little blip in some of the uh, accuracy issues uh, is gone and and we're back to clicking at those, you know, 65, 70% completion rates and, and moving the ball downfield uh, as we did in the first three weeks. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the rest of the pack 12 before we're out of time. A couple interesting things happened. Both Oregon State and Wazoo played very different games, but they both blew uh, double-digit leads in the fourth quarter at home against road favorites. So Oregon State blew their fourth quarter lead against USC. Washington State blew the fourth quarter lead against Oregon. Do you know? So that's that's four teams involved. Uh, did any of these results change the way that you thought about any of these teams? Well, two things. One, so wait, did Oregon State had? I knew they had a lead. I didn't realize it was ten points. 
I actually, I that was right. they I were up. Was it was not a two points. touchdown lead. Was, yeah, you're right. They had four a late points. fourth quarter lead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm conflating this. There were several other games during the day. There were teams like Texas blew a fourth quarter lead. Yeah. And, uh, Oklahoma blew it. Yeah, it was all over the a, place. So a lot just, happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in your in your defense, um, I don't think that I don't think that really actually changed much about how I view any of those four teams. Maybe Oregon a little bit because. Uh, you know, just seeing them be able to play through that, you know, on-field adversity, if you want to call it. I don't like it when people use the word adversity for, like, just yeah. coming from behind. Like, people yeah. overuse the word adversity in sports so much. He's like, like, if he you get stabbed his wrist, in the leg adversity. and then come back from that. Yeah. But, yeah, as far as, like, on-field duress, if you want to call it that, um, and kind of being able to perform when their back is against the wall, um, especially seeing, seeing that from Bo Nix, just because – he is called Bo Picks for a reason, <laughs> and he's kind of like a bigger DTR almost. As far as, uh, you know, y- you'll be like, "Wow, this guy's great!" Oh, oh, oh why did he do that? <laughs> um, yeah. so to to see him be able to, you know, come back against Wazoo when there when when the pressure was on was maybe that gave it. I I would say that gave me a little bit more faith in him, except for it doesn't really because he's done that. You know, when he's a good Bo all the time you know at auburn auburn and then and then he'll turn around and be bad bow because there always has to be someone in the sec that's a good bow bad bow dating back to 2012 2013 um at all miss but no i think in general it that's kind of what i was that's kind of what i was was thinking you know whether or not whatever the, the i i didn't really have any predictions as far as the you know exact scores or whatever but i was kind of expecting both of those games to be really close and that wazoo and and osu both had a shot um especially wazoo i think yeah i think the 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 nature of those losses and the way that they you know were close in ways that were relatively projectable um i think kind of more validates what i'm thinking about all of those teams Maybe it makes you USC a little bit more human as far, although it also makes their offense seem a little bit, or their defense, excuse me, seem a little bit better than I was expecting. Although that could just be, you know, out talenting Oregon State and Oregon State imploding a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, really, what it, it just sums up to me is that yeah, the the north like the Northwest is going to be a bloodbath this year. Yeah, <laughs> like I still that, yeah. that I'm like watching all that. I'm like, yeah, okay, this is like strapping on your helmet this is gonna suck <laughs> yeah it, depending on what we do see with ucla the, over the next few weeks it may be that the northwest teams are four of the six best teams in the conference and the other two are just usc and utah uh um, yeah and i mean i don't think that's far-fetched at all it probably maybe no, at worst so. it's four of the seven uh, you know yeah uh, no i think that's very very much within i don't i don't even think it's within the realm of possibility i think it's very like i think it's probably the case I think if I was going to say one thing surprised me about these two games is that the scores, I would have expected them to kind of be reversed. Like I, I yeah, thought they'd true. both be yeah. relatively close games. I thought going in that Wazoo's defense, I did not expect them to give up 44 points. I know Oregon can score uh, against some, you know, against average and worse defenses. I thought from what I'd seen so far this year, and I watched a little bit more of them, that Wazoo's defense was not an average defense, was quite a bit better than that and would give Oregon more problems. So it, it does change my opinion about their defense a little bit that against uh, a dynamic offense, they can be taken down a few pegs, which surprised me a little bit. But on the other side of it, Cam Ward started to show some explosiveness. So that maybe yeah. 
kind of trending back towards where we expected them to be going into the year, uh, as opposed to what they did over the first three weeks. And then the other side of that, as you mentioned, that USC scoring so few points, but holding up steadily defensively was a bit surprising. That that yeah. is just not the trend that they had followed so far this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good point. That's true. I agree with that. Um, the other, uh, we, we, you know, have covered a lot of the teams. I don't think we've talked hardly at all about Cal or Arizona so far this year. They played each other. It was kind of like the, uh, which team gets to be considered average bowl. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Cal, it was, it was True. like set up absolutely perfectly at these two kind of moribund teams. The last time they played was that one win Arizona got last year, uh, when Cal had like eight players or 16 players or something out with their weird COVID restrictions, including their quarterback, uh, Chase Garbers. And so they were down. And then that was Arizona's like one win over like the last 27 games or something. And so they're playing again this week. Cal's the home team. They're favored by three. It's just like perfect symmetry. It's like, these are the two teams vying for being not bad. You know, maybe, the winner might have an outside shot at getting bowl eligible and the loser is probably still relegated to going four and eight or something. Yeah. Uh, so like Cal won 49, 31 again, a little bit surprised that they had that kind of offensive performance in them. Uh, but good for them. Is that, does that mean, you know, we said like four of the six probably team best teams are in the Northwest. Any chance Cal can crack into that? I guess they'd probably be vying with Oregon state maybe for that like last kind of decent team spot. Um, I don't think so. I think, I think that there's a pretty, unless like, unless one of the Northwest teams kind of implodes a little bit and, you know, I suppose that's possible with like, if you look at the, the raw, um, talent discrepancy that like, for example, Wazoo and OSU have to work with, like, I suppose that is possible for, you know, when, when a, a team like that, that doesn't have the, um, like raw talent cushion that say like USC does, um, or Oregon, or UW even, you know, that, that obviously makes it that much harder if when, when, you know, when, you, when you hit kind of rough patches in the schedule and, or, you know, things start to go up and down. So I could see there maybe, maybe, maybe if, if, if Cal is to, to crack that tier, like that's what it would take. But I really, I don't think, I don't think so. Cause I think that just fundamentally, I think that Wazoo and Oregon State are both more balanced and have more offensive you know they're both more balanced and yeah i just think they're more balanced and more i think able to be consistent as far as scoring points although who knows because oregon state just scored what 17 14 what was that 13 14 14 (laughs) points yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. 14 17 or whatever so you know who knows i could be wrong um yeah i I mean i guess i could see cal beating one of us the, one of those four but it's kind of i think like i don't think that's indicative of them being like a better team yeah. overall you know it, i think i agree with that the thing that might change my assumptions is i mean the reason cal won this game so handily is they got 274 rushing yards from their freshman oh, from Jay running Nott, back Jay yeah. not and if he's i mean he's not gonna run for 274 yards he's not gonna have multiple 70 yard touchdowns very often uh but if he's you know one of the two or three best running backs in the conference suddenly that might kind of give uh, Justin Wilcox, the crutch offensive crutch that sure. they generally haven't had, where it's kind of like they generally have pretty good defenses and they have these really athletic, exciting defenses. And then they have an offense. That's the most boring thing you could watch in the whole conference. <laughs> so it's like, maybe you just have like one thing that works really well there. Yeah. It's enough to kind of bail you out. Yeah. Now uh, that, now that John Don's gone, <laughs> congratulations, yeah, right. Cal. Yeah. Um, I do think, 
I do think that it's hard though. Like if you can have like a really dynamic running back, like, like Ott, who's just a monster. And obviously that can be kind of your workhorse and kind of bail you out offensively. But I still think with modern defenses and modern and like, and modern offenses that they're going up against that they have to keep up with. Um, I think that's really hard though, over the whole course of a season to really be able to rely on a running back to be not just like the guy in the running back room, but the guy, the centerpiece of the whole offense, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Know, and that's kind of what we saw <laughs> like philosophically last year, like from John Donovan, like yeah. you can't just depend on the running game. Um, unless you're Wisconsin, but even if you're Wisconsin, that's why you win nine games um, every year. Pretty much. Well, and then you lose to Wazoo, and, and that brings us full circle. They do not have the ability to break through into the being better than any of the Pacific Northwest teams if they are exactly. Wisconsin and they can't beat Wazoo. There we go. Yeah. Uh, let's property. BS. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a theoretical. Yeah, so that's not even the transitive property. property. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Uh, the, um, something. Yeah, it's a different property. Uh, we have to read some Spinoza, dude. Ergo, uh, let's talk about recommendations or plugs. Do you have anything uh, coming up on your end? Well, I realized I don't know why I thought that the UCLA game was on Saturday. I, actually, I do know why, and why is because that's when they normally are. Um, and then last week, one of my plugs was like, "I've got a show on Friday night if you're in Bellingham." Um, so don't come to that because if you're coming to that, then you're not watching us hopefully <laughs> clobber UCLA. But um, I am reading a book called The Thursday The Thursday Murder Club by uh, Richard Osman, who's a very funny English comedian. If you follow comedy in general, you probably know who he is. If you follow like British, you know, um, British like panel show comedy and, and just general like comedy shit in England, then you definitely know who he is. Um, but it's a um, a novel about four old people at a nurse not a nursing home or like a retirement home they're all like 80 or whatever and they meet up every week for their for to solve cold cases because one of them used to be a detective and then and then gasp someone actually does get murdered and now they are on the case (laughs) and it is just wonderful and delightful and i'm like i don't know like 90 pages into it or whatever so far so i'm not super far into it but all of it i'm like just it's it's just very vivid and creative and 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 funny um and just kind of it's um as far as books and tv shows and movies go like media that's just very detailed and like that's how it is so immersive and like cat get you know brings you all into everything and all that um so so highly recommend that um the thursday murder club um and i don't even like true crime i'm i'm not like most white women i don't like true crime I like um, true or crime. anything I to also do like with that. i am a white woman <laughs> yeah. yeah well yeah i mean i come on i can't i can't uh i can't go against all of our stereotypes yeah i do uh, like rose and i will dance to miley cyrus <laughs> you and the entire uw student section that's oh, i forgot about guard. that yeah that's every game so far this year. They do a, a dance break in one of the TV uh, commercials that they play mm-hmm. party in the USA. And all the students react like they've just been given $10,000. Like <laughs> I, I told my wife that like, I know 
like I'm not the target audience for this, but if I was in college and they were like, Hey, you know, temporally adjusting for it, they were playing like hanging tough by new kids on the block. And then, like, <laughs> the camera was on me. I'd like, m- you know, materialize a gun and shoot myself in the head. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so would I, it would not, I, but it's, it's unanimous. It's like the monoculture of uh, current UW undergrads is everyone. Everyone loves party in the usa by miley cyrus now that i think about it would i actually dance that i think i would just belt like i don't think i would i don't think i would be dancing because it's not like a super dancey song it's just like hands up play no i'm not gonna do that like you're just gonna start belting things but i don't think i'm gonna dance to it i don't know i i don't get it i'm it's not for me i accept that like the problem with this is like now my three-year-old can operate our uh our alexa and is playing like the same so far her taste in music has been fine but my wife keeps trying to get her to play taylor swift and i'm like you can't teach her that that's a problem like we can't i will i will not make it you can't survive. You, she's not a gay 20 year old boy she can't be into <laughs> right. taylor swift yet uh um my my nephew when he was that when he was like four years old he would request juice by lizzo on repeat like on repeat on repeat on repeat like ever over and over and over again and I'm sorry, Lizzo, but it's been ruined for me. Which one? Juice. Juice. Okay. Yeah, this yeah. is very interesting. I'm sure everyone. Yeah. Very uh, much I'll, I'll... Don't have children because they'll get they'll ruin songs for you. Yeah, I mean it's kind of true. It does happen. Uh, I'm gonna recommend a movie that's actually like fairly accessible. Like some of the things I say are probably not very relatable, but we watched Confess Fletch this week. Uh, it's a reboot of the Chevy Chase fletch movies from mm. the 80s uh but chevy chase is not involved it's just like the ip it, it john ham plays fletch uh like a former investigative journalist i love john ham so much i love him so much uh and it has uh roy wood jr and kyle mclaughlin the twin peaks guy is in it playing like a creepy old rich guy it's go. really funny it's a friend of mine pointed out it's kind of a movie buff i think he said that only three of the top 50 grossing movies released in the u.s this year are scripted comedies that studios have just kind of stopped trying to make scripted comedies yep uh for we're not any clear reason i guess maybe they're just all moving to tv and becoming series well uh, and because just comedy in general is now just taking shit from like tiktok and fine and it's like and executives are not great at identifying things so they just everything is a mono every, everything speaking of the monoculture everything is like oh we must all do this now and just yeah like, yep yeah, I mean, I, I think there's room for things like this to exist. It was very funny. It was very enjoyable. It actually had a Sounds plot, lovely. which was weird. I usually kind of recoil when comedies try too hard to have a plot. I'm like, eh, don't bother. Like, nobody's <laughs> here for this. Uh, but it was it was interesting. It was funny. It was good. I, I very much enjoyed it. And it's in theaters and also video on demand, which is great for the aforementioned young kids. She goes to bed. We can just stream a movie. It's much better. All right. Anything else? Uh, absolutely nothing. All right. So hopefully, you know, I, I don't think probably Cody Pickett's going to show up at your comedy show um, since it's happening. He better not. He won't game. be a good Husky fan right. then. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have to try to, you know, get in touch with him after that. Uh, but I think, you know, it is getting ever closer. And thanks again for listening, everybody. And go dogs. Go dogs.